It's another edition of the Making Money Show with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, sidekick. We've been talking about prediction addiction, Ron, and I had a thought. It's kind of like the guys that play, do online betting, and they're looking at odds. You know, the odds makers in Las Vegas are pretty good at setting odds. The, the, the house usually wins, though, as the, as the old saying goes. This, the kind of things you're talking about here from an economic standpoint, these guys would be getting slaughtered in Las Vegas, wouldn't they? They would leave with their pockets turned inside out, you know, because the world is a very, very complex place. In fact, it is so complex that it's almost impossible to make accurate predictions time after time after time. I mean, you're going to be right once in a while, but because there's so many variables involved, your ability to make accurate predictions that you can invest off of is extraordinarily low. And typically, we've been talking about economists and analysts and market prognosticators that sometimes in 20 years had a 0% chance of being right. And even the more accurate ones, it went closer to 50%. And really, you've got to ask yourself, would you base your economic and financial future on forecasting that was right between zero and half the time? I don't think so. Well, we've talked about economic predictions, interest rate predictions, inflation predictions, stock market predictions. Let's talk about currency. That's one that we, I, I guess, have an affinity for here in Canada, especially if you travel at all and you, you go south of the border where you're getting beat up by the U.S. dollar or if you go to someplace like Great Britain where you're having to buy pounds and there's that huge gap between them to say, well, the Canadian dollar is going to go up or the Canadian dollar is going to go down, that's a tough call. Very tough call. And you take a look at Alan Greenspan, who was the chair of the Federal Reserve for 19 years. At one point in his career, he was called the, the financial maestro. Now, toward the end of his career, he got discredited for some of the financial policies that the Fed initiated, but he's still an extraordinarily smart guy. Uh, he wrote a book called The Age of Turbulence. It seems like everybody that leaves the Fed eventually, or <laughs> government, writes a book. And in it, he said that because of the efficiency of foreign exchange or Forex, that forecasting exchange rates for major currencies is as accurate as forecasting the outcome of a flip of the coin. As we talked about on the last show, there's probably no financial institution on the planet that gets more data than the Fed. All this data from all these government agencies that they control gets fed back to them. If anybody on the planet should know what American interest rates are going to do, it should be these guys. And they're saying, nah, our ability to predict currency is about as accurate as a coin toss. And last time I flipped a coin that had heads or tails, unless it's a loaded coin, the accuracy of that is 50%. So even the best guys with the best equipment and the, the best, the best data, informated. Yeah. yeah, aren't getting anywhere close. That's, that's mind-boggling. So what about individual stock forecasts? That one, now that, that one, you want to talk about loading up the dice here. That one is even more depressing. Richardson's did a study between 2007 and 2017. So they had a 10-year window, and they looked at the performance difference between stocks that were the most loved 
And their definition of most loved was companies that had the most buy recommendations. And companies that were the least loved, at least according to their analysis, were companies that had the least buy recommendations and the most sell recommendations. And they found that the least loved stocks, in other words, the ones that nobody liked, outperformed the, the most best loved. loved. Yeah, the most loved by 2.1 times. That's 200%. So the unfortunately, winners usually trade at prices that reflect all the good news, making them very expensive. So if you go on TV every night and all people are talking about is this particular stock and it's a buy and you've noticed it's gone up a lot, before you jump in, look at the underlying fundamentals and you've got to ask yourself a basic question. If a stock is growing at 5% a year and it's trading at 40 or 50 times earnings, all the good news for the next decade has been spoken for. Oh, it's spoken for. is already in the price. So it's priced to perfection. And when it's priced to perfection, and generally when all the analysts are on one side of a boat, ask any Maritimer. He'll tell you if everybody gets on one side of a boat, it's likely to tip over. So be careful. General prediction accuracy. Here again, the CXO Advisory Group which produces a lot of data between 1998 and 2012, they looked at 6,459 forecasts made by what they call the investment gurus. These are the guys that are interviewed all the time by newsletters, they're on radio, they're on TV, they're the go-to guys when the markets are looking to answers of why something's happened and what it means for the future. This was not a small survey. There's well over 6,000 predictions they looked at. And it ended up being accurate on average only 48% of the time. And these are the guys that, frankly, are viewed as being the smartest people on Wall Street, the go-to guys when you want to know what's going on. Even the cream of the crop had predictions that weren't as accurate as a coin toss. Not as accurate as a coin toss. So ask yourself, do you want to make your investment future and all your decisions based on this kind of data? That's, that's a remarkable statistic. Uh, so why are they wrong so often? Let's, let's drill down into this. Why, why are they wrong? Well, first of it all is the world is a lot more complex than a soundbite will give it credit for. So generally, people's attention span these days is that of a gerbil. Very short, yes. So you can't really have a long, intricate discussion on all the variables that go into making that provide the economic drivers to make something happen. So you get a soundbite. And so you're taking a very complicated issue and you're boiling it down to a 30-second commentary that makes it look like, wow, this is easy this causes that. Well, it's usually this doesn't cause that. This and thousands of other variables cause that. So the world is a very complex place and people just have an extraordinarily hard time, even with the databases, all the analysts they have, the huge amount of computing power they can throw at it. They just can't put in enough variables to make accurate predictions. It's like, how good is the weather out past about five or six days? That gets to be a tough call. Yeah, it gets to be a tough call, and they're getting better at it. But still, there's so many variables out there that it makes that kind of call unpredictable, 
and there's so many variables that are on the extreme edge of the forecasting model that can become more important or less important as time goes along. And that's very difficult to build into your equation. So even though you've got externally smart people working all this stuff, the complexity issue is just overwhelming. It's over their heads. It's more complex than they make it out to be. I suppose the other element here, Ron, that has to come into the equation is, is human nature, the way that we all behave, and we all behave differently, which adds to the complexity, does it not? Take a good example of the Middle East. In the Middle East, you've got tribalism, you've got religious affiliation, you have religious conflict, you have countries that have interacted and fought each other for millennia. Often, the human nature or the passions people have inside of them overwhelms logic. I mean, take for example, the Arab Spring. There wasn't one analyst out there that I know of that's, that even saw that coming. That's because when things get in motion, you start with a little small ball and it rolls down the hill, it can get big very, very quickly. And so often, because the people tend to move in herds, what's popular tends to gain momentum, and it isn't always logical, that it makes human behavior extraordinarily hard to analyze. And so this animosity and this irrational behavior spills over into stock markets, energy markets, and makes them very difficult to understand. So if we ever got to the point where we could un completely understand and predict the human beast, it would go to a long way to help us figure out what's going on financially, economically, and in the stock markets. But until that time, as long as people are as irrational as they continue to be, that isn't going to happen. I was going to say, I think, I think the irrationality seems to be on the increase too, so let's not go down that path. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about investment firms. They, it's almost like a gang mentality when something's going well, everybody follows the herd. You have to understand from an investment point of view is that if you're negative, I come out with a report that says the economy sucks, our leadership sucks, the tax climate sucks, the investment climate sucks, and you suck too. It's not going to make you very enthusiastic. <laughs> not going to be too positive. No, you're no. not going to be too positive. And frankly, you'll probably take your money and go to a place that has positive things to say about certain investment opportunities. So one of the basic rules that you find is that Investment firms don't make money by being negative. When people are positive, they invest. When, when you're negative, people not only stop investing, but they often withdraw money. They get afraid and they move money to cash. So often you see the economic imperative on the firms to be positive. Even if you're not positive about the entire market, you want to be positive about something because you want those flows to continue to come in. People get depressed, they go away. All right. Well, that's a, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the final one is is predictions, especially outrageous ones, are, are great generators of publicity. Like you talked about, it's more of the white noise, right? Yeah. And it's a way to differentiate yourself from everyone else is that if you predict that there's going to be a recession tomorrow and the markets are going to go down 65 or 70 percent, or that you're going to see a collapse in the U.S. dollar, or we're going to see hyperinflation, or you're going to see an extended trade war between Canada and the U.S. Because those predictions are out of the norm, they tend to get attention. And if you're a little firm with the thousands of voices out there and you're trying to get attention, 
you say something that is out of the mainstream so that you get your 15 seconds of fame. And the, the famous cliche that virtually everyone that markets in Wall Street has, Wall Street knows that forecasting isn't about predicting the market, it's about marketing the prediction. It is to get you out in front so that people recognize your name and they get, you get the opportunity to get your face in front of them so you get a chance to win their business. Okay, so let's sum this up. And this is maybe a bit of a loaded question. So what do you do with all of this prediction addiction that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks? What, what is the financial coach's most sage advice here? Number one is don't base investing on economic predictions because as we proved conclusively, and I've, I've shown article after article for, for 30 years on radio, this just does not work. It's entertainment. What you have to do is you have to buy companies and you have to look at their historical valuation. You look at stocks based on their assets, their sales, their profits. These are real metrics to determine what you're paying for a business. And what you want to do is you want to buy good quality companies, but you want to buy them when they're a little bit out of favor and you can buy them at a reasonable price. In the, in the investment community, it's known as GARP growth at a reasonable price. And that is a strategy that over the long term, if you put the blinders on and ignore all the white noise that's going on around you, and you find quality companies you can pick up at a reasonable price, that if there's any holy grail in the investment marketplace, that's it. Buying good names so you're reducing your risk and buying them when they are reasonable and they don't have all their future growth already built into the price. And if you follow that consistently and tune out the noise, that is going to give you your best probability of success. All right, there you go. Sage advice from the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. We're back next week with another edition of Making Money. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.